John chapter 12. Let's look at verses uh, 35 and 36 first. It says this. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Now, now to get into this setting, as, as I was uh, reading this and, and, and putting it together with last week where, uh, you know, and two weeks ago where Jesus has, has had this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding in on this donkey. People are going crazy. You're the Messiah. You're the king. Uh, he is here to establish his kingdom on earth. He's going to reign forever. He's going to overtake Rome. They are hyped. They are excited. Uh, and, and then we see, as we saw last week, where Jesus is is talking to them after he's entered in. And as he starts sharing with them how his plan is actually to die, what happens? They're like, wait a second. You, what kind of a son of God are you? Because you're not the son of God we're looking for. You know, and, and sometimes I use sports analogies. Just relax, okay, if I do. If you don't like sports, that's fine. I just don't watch a lot of TV. And when I do, sometimes it's a sports thing. But I was watching, um, it was the NBA draft. And the NBA draft is uh, where these, for the most part, collegiate athletes play basketball are getting picked for a pro team. And as they uh, talk about each player, as I was watching this, what they do is they compare their skills and abilities to a current professional or someone that's played before. And so what they're essentially doing is creating this expectation that this uh, college-age uh, young adult is, is uh, like their success is going to rest on their ability to measure up to that. And, and, and so, uh, and, and I think we've seen this where, where all of a sudden this person is, is like, everybody's excited about them. They're going to be this. And, and, and so there's these expectations with them, but what happens all of a sudden they don't measure up to those expectations. And so just as quickly as we got excited about them, we're just as quickly to be like, what, uh, what happened to them? They're a dud. They're, they, they failed. They're a, they're a bust. And, 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 and I think we've, we can relate to that on a lot of different levels. Some of you have uh, a favorite uh, musician or a favorite group, and uh, every time they're going to put out a new album, you are like, ooh, I can't wait. And then you listen. And even as you listen, you want to like it. And all of a sudden you go, what happened? What happened? This isn't working for me. And all of a sudden it's, it's over. You know, we, we look at, when we think of uh, people that are famous and, and news personalities, it's kind of like, man, uh, for this season, we're just like, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh my goodness. And then what happened? Where did they go? They're going to be the next president. What, what happened to them? They were supposed to be like the chosen one. Some of you have hired people. And when you hired them, you had this image in your mind of what they were going to accomplish, what they were going to become. 
and, and you were excited. And, and, and then month three, you go, they are not that. Ah. For some of you, it's a, it's a friendship where you met someone and you were just like, oh my goodness, we're going to be best friends. It just makes sense. We should be. And you get to know them and all of a sudden they don't live up to those expectations. Products, you guys have, have bought things. We've all bought things, right? And when we bought it, we were just like, this is what this is going to mean for me. This is what it's going to bring into my life. I did that yesterday. I bought some shoe cleaner. And in my mind, as I'm purchasing this online, so it was a risk, as I'm purchasing it, I'm imagining my white shoes that aren't white anymore to all of a sudden glisten again to where I could preach in them and you would be distracted by how white they were. And, and so I built that. And so literally, if this product doesn't deliver, what? It's a failure. You guys, Jesus has been built up. He is the anticipated savior for this nation. They are oppressed. Uh, nothing is as great as it could be. And they're looking towards him. And from, as, they, as they grow up, every child is taught to anticipate, to expect, to look for the Messiah. And, and here he is. And yet they are disappointed. They're discouraged. He's not who they thought. Uh, he's not who they thought he should be. And so they turn their back on him. So how does Jesus respond? Well, what, what did we just read there? He responds by, by, by literally extending one last invitation to them. He once again uses um, uh, the, the example of light and, and, and darkness to them. He, he says, listen, the light, once again, it's only going to be here for so long. I'm the light, and, 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 and I'm not going to be here much longer. That's soon going to be gone. And those of you that don't receive the light, that don't respond and believe to the light, you are going to be overcome by darkness. But listen, if you'll believe, you will be a son of light. You will be a part of this. And so even in his last words, you guys, because what did we see next? It says, after saying this, he went away and hid himself from them. This is ending. This is the end of his public ministry. These are his last words. To the very end, to them, as he's preaching to this crowd, you got to imagine the emotions high. I mean, man, I've been with people who are saying their last words. He knows this is it. And so what does he do? Well, he, he, he maintains the, the focus. He maintains the mission to the very end. He says, listen, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to give you another opportunity here to receive me as Lord and Savior. I'm going to plead, plead with you to put your faith and hope and trust in me. As we look at verse 37, it says this. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, 
so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So once again, it's like Groundhog Day, despite all these incredible miracles that Jesus has done, ultimately culminating with what? He, he brought uh, Lazarus out of the grave. He resurrects Lazarus. So, so all of these incredible miracles that they had seen, they still are in a place of unbelief. And so Jesus now is talking to, to his close followers here. He's no longer speaking to everybody. And, and, and as we're processing uh, their, their lack of belief still, it reminds me of what John prepared us for at the beginning of this gospel. In John chapter 1, 11, he said, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He says, this is what's going to happen. And so here we are, but, 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 but what's so powerful about this is their unbelief, because you would say, man, that's the worst possible outcome, is that these people wouldn't believe in the Savior, their own Savior. That's the worst possible outcome. But what we see is their unbelief in Jesus here, it actually wasn't outside of God's plan. In fact, their unbelief actually fulfilled the words of Isaiah the prophet. Their unbelief is actually fulfilling prophecy. God is using even their unbelief. Because when we see this first passage from Isaiah that John quotes, it's Isaiah 53.1. It's where we find a detailed prophecy about how Jesus was going to suffer and die for us in our place. And, 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 then, and we see there in that passage, as, as, as he's predicting Israel's unbelief, Isaiah wrote, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? Is there anybody who has heard and believed? And, and the answer to that is, unfortunately, it's very few people. Incredibly, as the, incredibly that, that was true, even, even though the arm of the Lord, it says, was revealed to the people of Israel through the miracles Jesus had performed. So in spite of that, in, in, in spite of uh, the Lord revealing his power and that to Israel through Jesus's miracles, we see Israel's rejection. But it was not just foreseen, it was by God's sovereign design. Man, guys, God's plans cannot be prevented by anything or any person. Do you hear that? You hear that, church? God's plans cannot be prevented. There's nothing that anybody can do to prevent his plans. See, when we look at this, it was actually necessary for some people to reject him. Why? So that he could take his place on the cross and die the death that we deserved. You guys, if he'd come uh, to earth and everybody embraced him and they all just went, yes, you're here. Like, like this is perfect. And they just all like uh, embraced him. What wouldn't have happened? He would have never gone to the cross. Why did he come? He came to die. And so this had to happen. And so Jesus is actually using this. It was necessary for some to reject him. 
Not only though, do we read that they did not believe, but look at what verse 39 says. It says, therefore they could not believe. Why could they not believe? Well, verse 40 here, where he's quoting Isaiah 6.10, it says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Now, this is one of those passages that I just go, man, eh, I'm not a big fan of it, God. You want to just take that one out? It's like, no, it stays. And, and, and we're stuck to deal with it. And I'm stuck to deal with it because we teach verse by verse. <laughs> Can't run from anything at this church, man. My God, why? You guys, even reading that, this didn't negate the liability of those who refuse to believe. This is really important. When it says he blinded them, he doesn't mean that the blinding takes place without their will or against their will. Let's, let's be very clear. They were evil. It was their own deliberate choice, their own fault. I, I, I love how one commentator, D.A. Carson, who's much smarter than I'll ever be, um, I'm going to try and word this down really quickly in a way that excludes some of the words that may cause more confusion than help. But he writes this. I love this. God's judicial hardening is not cursing morally neutral or even morally pure beings, but as a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. See, what you need to remember is that Israel's rejection of Jesus was the culmination of years of rebellion, years of abandoning truth, years of ignoring the prophets, of, of saying, no, we're going to do this our way. We don't want to do it that way. We, we, you know, we're going to make ourselves the authority of our lives. We're going to be our own leaders, our own gods in this. And so what we see here is this sobering reality that those who choose to persistently harden their hearts against God may just find in judgment that their hearts are actually hardened by him. In other words, God is saying, if you want to continue to choose to deny me, if you want to continue to know what I'm asking you to do and say, nope, I don't want that. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. That's what I want, right? He says, at some point, you may just get what you want. Essentially, you, you don't want anything to do with me. You, you, you've heard the message. You don't want that. Okay, I'm going to give that to you. You're not going to have that. You're not even going to anymore have the ability to get that. You're getting what you want. Man, that is a sad, sobering reality. But this isn't the first time we hear about God hardening hearts and man's inability to believe here. We, we actually see this um, in, in a lot of different places. One situation where Moses giving his final charges to Israel in Deuteronomy 29 uh, verses two through four, it says this. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt 
to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Now, when we initially read that, we go, God, why are you so mean to these poor people? Okay, let's rewind. Well, what had they seen? Well, I'll tell you one thing they've seen, and most kids in this room know what I'm talking about, the plagues. Okay? The the, the plagues that God brought in order to deliver them that there was no way to explain away as just natural phenomenons. Clearly the work, clearly the, the, the response of God to deliver his people. And actually we read in Psalm 107 where they had already started to rebel against him before they got to the Red Sea. Come on. And, 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 and when he's speaking this in Deuteronomy 29, this is towards the end. They have seen so many miracles. He has supernaturally fed them. He has supernaturally given them what, all, these, all these moments where God has come through for, for them. And you guys, rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. I want it my way. No, God, where are you? You haven't come through with how we wanted you to. And all of this. So by the end of this, yeah, this is where you're at. But, but we see also uh, within even just this story, how God deals with Pharaoh illustrates this message. We actually see 10 times where Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and we see 10 times where God hardens his heart. Okay? Um, and, and, and Pharaoh, it wasn't like God is this mean, sovereign God who's like, Pharaoh, uh, you don't even have a shot. You don't, guys, I want you to understand and know that Pharaoh was so wicked, so wicked. The things he was doing to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, even before Moses is on the scene here, horrible, evil, and his response is evil. But God's going to take and use that evil, and God's going to give him what he wants in that situation. Guys, what this does, at least for me, is it brings a level of urgency to me proclaiming the gospel. Because sticking with Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 6, he says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In other words, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised the end of today. And so if the Lord is near right now, if he's working, man, respond, respond today, respond right now to this message. You guys, all throughout scripture, there is this common theme of urgency, urgency. And, and as we think of this urgency to, to preach the gospel, to share about Jesus, it's, it's this tension that, that I know I feel when I share my faith. Because when I share my faith, um, I know that, that, that if I feel like God is working um, and, and God is moving, uh, I have this, this, this tension that I feel, and it's this tension of, I, wanna, I want them to receive him right then and there. Like, like, this is it. And so I have this fleshly nature that wants to, when they're interested, then hammer them over the head with a bat until they believe. And I've shared before, God has continually said, give me the baseball bat 
Steve, I do this. You don't. But you know what? I actually think that's a good tension. Because, man, I just want them to receive Jesus. And there should be an urgency to that message. Now, ultimately, we give them over to God. And God has said, Steve, let me do this. Get out of the way. But there needs to be this tension, this, this urgency that we live this life with, that we share our faith with. And, 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 and man, this passage brings that out. You guys, there's two interwoven truths in John's explanation here of unbelief. And the first is belief isn't possible without God's direct work in a person's heart. Okay, we, in fact, we see this clearly in his quotation uh, towards the end of Isaiah's first prophecy, where it says, to whom as, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's what he said in verse 38. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Okay, so God must reveal himself. He's got to reveal himself. That's why when we pray for people, God, reveal yourself to them. God, I pray that you would make it abundantly clear who you are to them. God, I pray that you would use me to, to reflect you. I pray that, that, that through me they would see you. So God, use me to reveal who you are, right? That's a prayer that we pray, that I hope we pray. And it's acknowledging that, God, you have to do something in their life because I can't. And so we have to acknowledge that truth that we see here. And then the second truth is, and this is a little more difficult to swallow, but God can choose to harden whoever's heart he chooses. In Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 18, I want to read this. It says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You guys, God is just. He is just. That's part of his nature. That's part of his character. So nothing he's going to do is, gonna, is going to be in opposition to his justice. And you can trust in that. You can trust in his character, in his nature, in the goodness of God, because ultimately what happened here through the hardened hearts of the Israelites, what, what, what happened uh, because of their rejection and their unbelief, what was the result of this, this, this horrible thing? Well, Romans 11, 11 tells us, it says, so I ask, did they, the nation of Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Oh, thank you for hardening their heart. See, we hated it. Now we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Why? You're like, why? We're Gentiles. 
and I'm here. I get to praise God with, with you and you're here and, and, and we're here in all our flaws, all our mistakes and, 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 and all of these other things. We're undeserved, all of that. But we're here because he hardened their heart and the gospel as a result spread to the ends of the earth, including you and me. Amen. I almost feel like I should just pray. You guys, God has a plan. You look all throughout scripture, God has a plan. He's never thrown off anything that happens that in the moment we go, that's unfair. I don't know why you're doing that. He tells, would you just trust me? He says, would you just trust me? Would you, and, and when you can't, you feel like you can't trust me, just go back to my characteristics and look at that. I created you, I shaped you, I formed you. Whatever I choose to do is in the best interests. And whatever I do in a person's heart, is just. See, at some point, we all, and for some of us, it takes us longer, but we all reach the end of our human understanding at some point. Amen? I mean, I'm just going to tell you right now, and I have people that'll meet with me and go, well, I just, I don't fully understand everything in the Bible yet. And I look at them, and I go, man, me neither. But you're a pastor you're disqualified. I go, mm, that probably makes me more qualified. It's the pastors that think they do that actually get in trouble. I'm telling you right now, the more you read this, the more you're going to come to the end, to that cliff of your own understanding. And guys, it's in that moment that what? We go, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust by faith, or I'm going to shy away because I'm only going to worship an all-powerful, almighty God if he operates how me in my finite humanity operates. Good luck with that. It just doesn't work. So what we see in this passage is we have to affirm both truths that John reveals in this passage, acknowledging that though we may often put divine sovereignty against human responsibility. And listen, I, I get it. I, I've seen it. I've seen churches split over that. And, 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 and if we took a poll in this room, I, I don't know. Here's a guess. It's probably right down the middle on where you lean. It just probably is. Judging by the history of Christianity, it's probably where it's at. And, 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 and yeah, you can justify a little more here, a little more here, but what we have to come to the end is, is one, is the Bible doesn't put, the, put them against each other. And second, regardless of where you land, we are all clearly called to what? Preach the gospel, to evangelize. And so however far you may find yourself in this eternal debate, not eternal, it's gonna be ended soon when he comes back, but however long you find yourself on that journey, don't miss out on the call that we all have to share the gospel, to evangelize. We see that the personal choice involved here in rejecting Jesus is illustrated by who? Those, it says in verse 42 and 43, look at what we read there. It says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
So it's already been established. The religious authorities have established, listen, if you at all confess publicly that Jesus is the Messiah, you are gonna be cut off from all Jewish religious and social life, okay? That's what's gonna happen if you confess this. And, and, and so what we see is these individuals here, it, it says what? They were believing. Some of them are leaders in, in, in places of authority. They're, they're believing, but what? Because they loved the glory of others more than the glory from God, they refused to confess. Demonstrating what? A surface, a, a, a superficial belief. Remember way back when in John chapter 5, 44, when, when Jesus uh, asks these religious leaders, he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, they loved this religion that they had built up, which was self-exalting. Look at me. Look at what I can do. They loved that because of how people looked at them, how people honored them, and it gave them this prestigious position that they were able to live in and occupy in. And so they loved the position they had so much so that they refused Jesus. They believed, but were unwilling to confess that belief. They valued the earthly applause, the earthly validation more than Jesus. You guys, man, this is a struggle for us. And it doesn't work if you are sitting there and saying, oh, I've, I prayed the prayer, but I can't share it with anybody. You don't know my work. You don't know my family. You don't know my followers on social media. You just, you don't fully understand. So I'm just gonna keep this between you and me. Guys, we just don't see in scripture the secret followers. They're just not there. The New Testament doesn't mention that category. What we do see is this. God calls those who believe to what? Be baptized. Calls them to be baptized. What is baptism? Well, I didn't, I didn't get baptized in my bathtub with nobody there, right? Baptism, baptism is a public display, right? It's a public display of an internal decision to surrender and give your life to Jesus, so he calls us to do that, to make it public. That's the first thing. Go make it public. Then what's next? Be a part of a church. Well, what's that going to include? Whether you are in underground church in a country, you're still asked and called and told to be a part of a church. And you play a role in a part of church and you're given giftings to help produce God's work in the church, which is amazing. And then he says, participate in the Lord's Supper. Okay, now that is something that is not just a, a me by myself thing, right? We see them doing that together in their church community. And so he calls us to these public expressions of this decision, of this faith that we claim to have. And, and, and so, man, like, like that, so this whole 
place and, and, and situation with these people to where they can say, oh, I believe, but I don't profess it. I don't confess that. Like, like it doesn't work and it's not gonna work for you. And, and, and you guys, man, I'll be honest, from traveling to different countries around the world and countries that are dealing with a whole lot more issues than you and I on our worst day are, I can tell you this. And, and this is generally speaking. I don't pretend to know your story, your background, your challenges. I don't. But I will say this. When it comes to our fear of opposition and our, our, our seeking the glory of other people, uh, you guys, it's pretty shallow in our nation. It's pretty shallow. And, and I was reminded of, of that just, I mean, a couple years ago, not even a couple years ago. You know, one of the things that God has just given us favor with and given us opportunities with is um, the international students that come into Eugene that are part of U of O. And, and it's just been an amazing ministry. It's like the mission field. It's crazy. And, and God has, 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 has brought a lot of these individuals from different countries to Ecclesia. And, and what's amazing is uh, we're able to share Jesus with them. And, and, and as I'm sharing Jesus with them, like, like their background is different than most of these other college age young adults or, or just adults as a whole that, that I talk to. And, and I was reminded of this as I'm with uh, this, this, this girl at the EMU, which is this huge building on campus where everybody's at. And this girl is weeping, weeping publicly in that place because she is telling me, I love Jesus. I want to go all in. I will lose everything if I go back home and tell my family. I'll be out. And not like I'm going to lose some followers on social media. I don't know uh, how people are going to react. Like, no, like it, it, she knew. Like she knew. If I go all in with this decision, I'm out of my family. I'm not welcome there. All of these other things, they're, they're, they're just not... They're, they will not happen. We're not speaking in hypotheticals. This is somebody literally coming to the, to the fork in the road. Am I gonna go all in with Jesus? And if I do, it's gonna cost me all of this. But he's calling me to confess that, to profess that, you guys. And, and, and so I, 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 every time I get to this place where, where I see people um, say, oh, I believe, but I don't really wanna, I don't wanna take that to the next step. Like I go, no, that's not what he's calling us to. And I go back to that scene of this, this incredible young woman just weeping over what this decision actually means. And I go, man, if I could just capture that for us in our safe walls. You guys, uh, to be honest, even more so now, we're, we're like, just if you believe in anything, great. We're trying to just help people. I, I, more and more, they're just like, if we can just get people to believe in something, it's great. So if you go all in with Jesus, for the most part, people will be like, good, you found something good for you, right? Like not, now some of you maybe experienced some opposition with your family, your friends, your coworkers, but probably not like this person that I met with. And um, a lot of you would say that, you know, my parents were kind of happy that I found something productive or, you know, like they're just happy that I found a purpose. Like guys, that's where we're at as a culture, as a society. And so it, it's almost like created this, this, 
this space where we go, man, I can just kind of have everything. And ultimately what I'm deciding is that glory that I want to maintain, that position that I want to maintain in my family, in my uh, work setting, in my school setting, on my team, whatever it may be, that glory means more to me than his. And if that's where I'm at, I can't sit here and say I'm a Jesus follower. That's tough. As we continue in verse 44, it says, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now, this is so big, okay? And what he does is, is literally recapture and, and reemphasize what he's been saying in, in all these other chapters, he, 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 he says, listen, listen, did you miss this? In fact, for those of you that just started coming or you missed uh, some weeks, reread that really slowly after you leave here and you'll be caught up in what he's saying. He is making the point that choosing to believe in him means embracing God. To see Jesus is to see God. And once again, we see him drawing that contrast. He came as a light. And if someone believes, they will be rescued from darkness. Guys, if you choose, though, not to believe in Jesus, then we see ultimately we will be judged for that unbelief on the last day because there's no way to stand accepted before God apart from faith in Jesus. But what is the theme here of that, you guys? What's the theme of this unbelief? The theme of the unbelief is the conscious rejection of God and his word. It comes back to God's word here. Because what? To listen to Jesus is to listen to God. God always works by his word. Guys, man, we're passionate about his word. Walk in truth is one of our core values. We've got a school of Bible. We're launching a school of ministry, but I didn't say that. But I did. Man, we are passionate about God's word. Not that we're the only church that is. There's lots of churches passionate about God's word. The reason is, is because we see all throughout the Bible, beginning in Genesis 1, God brought forth life by his word. You guys, all throughout the Old Testament, that's the road. That's the path that leads to life, to, to, to blessing. The New Testament, it tells us, it, it, it picks up the same theme in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through 
the word of Christ. God has always worked through his word. He has always used his word to call people to life, to call them and to bring them to salvation. You cannot pursue a relationship with God apart from Jesus, and you can't pursue a relationship with Jesus apart from his word. And John, as we've seen, he writes this gospel to what? To help us believe. And this teaching on unbelief, it actually follows Jesus's plea to believe in the light. See, this this passage is all about God's power to save. That's what just became clear as I'm getting, as I was so focused on unbelief, I'm like, man, this passage is is so powerful because it, it shows and demonstrates his power to save. And so what does that mean? I have to trust him to save. Because in verse 47, what does it say he came to do? I came for the very purpose of saving to the point that, that me, being God, can take rejection and actually turn it to save more people. To take this and actually cause it to spread. See, and I love how one commentator put it, God is sovereign over unbelief which means unbelief must bow before him. I love that. And I love it because, you know, some of us have these people in our lives and maybe we are that person, but there's people that that we've tried to either share our faith with. Maybe we've even just, man, we're like, I'm just gonna invite them to church. I'm just gonna slip an invite out there. It's an event. And, 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 and for whatever reason, whether something was said or done to them by a church, whether they've just seen hypocrisy or, or wh- whether they're just angry, for whatever reason, you see this impenetrable wall that they have built up to, to the gospel, to every time you try and share, you know it's there, and you're like, man, ugh. And, and for some of us, we've given up on those people. For some, we stopped praying for them. But I am here to remind you that God is sovereign over unbelief. You better start praying for them again. And you better not give up on them. These seats and those watching online, there are a lot of people that were either given up on for a while or they were the people, you were the people that, it was described as, that's a wall. You aren't getting, you're not getting beyond that. Well, guess what, guys? It's not your job to get beyond it. It's not my job to penetrate that wall. It's a God that is sovereign over unbelief's job and his role, and he says, I'm pretty good at it. Look at what I did through the rejection of the people, my people. Do you see that, Steve? Start praying for them again. Share your faith. Be obedient to what I've called you to do. And trust me with the results. Trust him with the results, you guys. Trust him. He is just. He is the potter. We are the clay. And we just say, God, do with me what you will. I believe in you. I, by faith, am going to pursue you and walk in this. And I don't know what you're doing. And it seems to contradict itself a little bit, but man, I'm going to cling to your words. And I know that it's enough. And I know that by the character of God, you are love, you are good, you are just, and you're not done. And you win. You win. Amen.